Hey everybody, it's Pastor Matt, um, and we're going to be opening up the Word of God, um, looking at Daniel chapter 7. Um, this is the start of Daniel's uh, visions, and he has a number of them, and if you're like me, you probably find them a bit confusing at times, but I hope you're also encouraged because we learn in different um, ways we learn of God. We learn that he is in control. And though we do not know all things, uh, we can trust him. As in particular, in this text, we, we see that there's evil in this world and chaos. But in spite of that, God is still in control. And I don't like to think about evil and suffering. It's not pleasant. It hurts to see the effects of sin, especially when we see it in the lives of those that we know in our own lives. But it really reminds me to treasure God's kingdom. And so I hope that uh, we're encouraged by the fact that even though there is evil in this world, even though the world seems out of control, God still reigns. God is on the throne. And so if you'd like, you can take the time now just to um, to read Daniel chapter 7, and then uh, we will, I will continue, I'll just get right into talking about it. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk first about what I've mentioned the, the reality of evil in this world. And I'll be basing it off of the part where the four beasts rise out of the sea in verses 1 to 8. Now, in, in ancient times, the sea was a symbol of evil. In the Old uh, Testament, we actually um, find several places where the nations are compared to the roaring of the sea. For example, um, Isaiah 17.12 says, Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. Isaiah 57.20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea. And who rules? Even in, in the chaos of the world, God does, right? And it's easy to say that, but I was just reminded of the, the many places where God's word tells us that he is the one who made the ocean, who set the seas in their place. And the same one that calms the waters is the one who stirs up the sea with the winds of heaven. And so we, we learn um, out of the chaos of the sea, out of the chaos of this world, come four terrifying beasts. And just imagine them coming up out of the sea before you. It's terrifying enough to see a normal lion or a bear coming after you. But these savage beasts with extra wings on them and four heads... Um, 
they really remind us of the terrible reality of evil. It doesn't look good, does it, on the outset? We're reminded of the awfulness of sin that devours people. But in the chaos and wickedness of the world, we see the sovereignty of God because somebody lifted up the lion and gave it a man's heart. Somebody commanded the bear to arise and gave the leopard dominion. And so they're not as in control as they might seem. They're still under God's rule. And I think that's an encouraging thing for us to remember is that God, um, in spite of how things appear, God is the one that's in control. And uh, there's a lot of focus by people on um, what kingdoms these are because chapter 7, 16, and 17 tells us that the beasts refer to four kingdoms. I have found references in the Bible um, that lions and eagles often symbolized Babylon. Jeremiah 4.7, um, 49.19, uh, and Ezekiel 17, 11, and 12, and so on. The other beasts, the, the bear and the leopard, don't. there's no, no references in Scripture to the such things. But uh, it does seem to fit, again, as I talked about in chapter 2 with the statue, does seem to fit with the following empires, the, the empire of the Medo-Persians that conquered Babylon, the empire of Alexander the Great. And so if it's the same as chapter 2, it's possible the fourth beast could be Rome. Uh, other people think it's this, a future kingdom. And I say all this just to sort of give you an idea. There's different ideas, different theories. But the important thing is to, to see that the chaos and evil in this world is real, and it is terrifying. These dreams scared Daniel. He was troubled. We would call these night terrors if our if a kid if our kid came to us and uh, and said that they dreamed of a giant uh, monster coming out of the sea. And you know what? We live in a world that can be terrifying for us at times, troubling. And I want us to understand that. that is, that's a, a part of a reality of the world we live in. But behind that, we can rest in the triumph of God's rule. We can rest because we know that He is in control. And so I really love the next part of our of the chapter verses 9 to 14 because Daniel gets to see some of the realities of heaven. He gets to see the realities behind what's going on in the world. You know Jesus prayed uh taught us to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here in Daniel's visions, we get to see God's perfect will being done, both on earth and in heaven.
Because while the nations rage, the Ancient of Days sits on his throne. And there is an order, a beauty to heaven that contrasts with the chaos of the world. In heaven, there is rest. And so we can't seek rest in the world because it's going to be chaotic like the sea. There's going to be these beasts devouring each other. And yet, dominion has always belonged to God because he has always been on the throne. We learn many, many things of God. We learn from his pure white robes and the blazing fire of his glory and holiness. There is none like him. Judge, ruler, father. It must have been amazing for Daniel. Daniel was a man who stood alone in the Babylonian court. But here he gets to see millions of people serving God. Sinclair Ferguson, a Bible scholar and preacher, wrote, Christians who have this view of God and His throne will never feel alone or isolated. They will find their point of orientation not on earth but in heaven. Christians have this vision of God will never feel alone or isolated. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you're feeling isolated in this time of self-isolation and quarantine and all that, but sometimes I have, um, you know. But uh, we can set our gaze towards heaven, and that's what keeps us going when life is difficult, when we realize that there's more to life than today. And so being able to meditate and to think about these things is really encouraging. I was recently encouraged by a passage, um, Hebrews 12, and it especially verses 22 and 24, it talks about the heavenly Jerusalem and, and the saints and the heavenly hosts and Jesus and I think it's encouraging for us to think about these things. Maybe read that passage this week and think about heaven. Think about the Lord. And you know, there's something else that would really help, and, and that is it really helps to know the end of the story. And before Daniel's vision is over, he gets to see the end of the story. He sees the heavenly court opened and the kingdoms judged and destroyed and God is kind to some of them and he prolongs some of their days. But in the end, they're, they're judged. You see, evil is a reality and troubles of the world are a reality, but so is the fact that God will make things right. And uh, that can be very encouraging to us, especially because so often we know that God is in control. It, we, that's something we say, right? But do we think about the fact that He knows best, that He's going to make things right? If God was in control, but He was a, a horrible God, well, that there would be no hope. But God is a just God, and so God will make things right. So we know the end of the story, and we also know 
Jesus, don't we? And verses 13 and 14 give us a, a picture of Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus and his ascension and exaltation in heaven. Because we see one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. You know that Jesus was God. He did not have to humble himself and become a man, but he did. He became a man and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. And so Jesus is, of all people, worthy to stand in the awesome presence of God and to receive a glorious, universal, and everlasting dominion in which we who know him have a place. In a world of evil, our comfort is found in knowing the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. One who is now highly exalted, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, having the name that is above every name. God is, Jesus is the Most High in whom the saints will receive the kingdom. We are made holy because of his righteousness. And so it's so wonderful to see the reality that Jesus is Lord of all and that in him we have a place in the kingdom of God. Now, these are difficult things. They're troubling things that Daniel, who has not experienced the fulfillment of Jesus coming, ascending to heaven. And so he, is, he wishes to know the truth of these things. And he is curious, especially about the fourth beast. Now, you might be curious about the fourth beast as well. Well, God gives him another vision in verses 15 and 28. And this is a text where everybody's got a different view. And, and so I hesitate to give you mine because I feel like it's just oh, on top of all these other opinions. But I think, first of all, I want us to, to think about why this was written. And everybody focuses on knowing the identity of this fourth beast. But the original Pete readers, they didn't have a clue. They had no way to figure it out. And so I think that that is secondary. That would be a bonus for us who perhaps have more of an understanding. We have the full scriptures, the full counsel of God. But that would be a bonus. You see, all of Daniel was written, first of all, so that God's people in exile would know more of God and his purposes. And so when we read Daniel 7, the purpose, the primary purpose, is to help us to see that God will triumph in spite of the terrible reality of evil, God will triumph even though it does not look like he is triumphing. It does not look like he is on the throne, but he is. And so if we can see that, and we can see that the reality of 
the Son of Man. In the Son of Man, we have a place in the kingdom. Then we're on the right track for being able to deal with the difficulties of life. Having said that, I guess I do have an opinion about the fourth beast and the little horn. And um, By the way, a horn in the Bible and in ancient times symbolized a ruler or an authority. So when it talks about the ten horns and the, the little horn, it would appear to be talking about rulers and authorities, um, governments, kingdoms, something of that sort. And beyond that, I will not say that I know anything. <laughs> but I do think this little horn seems to belong to the final days. And I think that because, first of all, it says that the little horn will be different from the former ones. And it appears, at least in the vision, that it is the last of them. The other um, reason that I have is that the destruction of the little horn appears to come when God gives the kingdom and dominion, in verse 27 says, to the people of the saints of the Most High God, whose kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. And though we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, um, even now, Ephesians 2 tells us, and, and we have a place in the kingdom, uh, it is not now that all dominions serve and obey him in the full sense. And so I would tend to at this point think that the little horn is the final consummation of evil before Christ returns. That this final, um, yeah. Now regardless of whether I'm right, uh, that doesn't matter. Because I've said, what is important is that we see that God will triumph in spite of evil. And so, it, I think when we look at today, it's, it's fair to say that we see a lot of the, the worst characteristics of the little horn even today, don't we? The world is opposed to Christ, and so this should not surprise us. But even though we see this opposition, the reality of opposition... We know that God will triumph. In fact, He has triumphed at the cross. Now that is pretty special. That is why the Son of Man is exalted to the highest place. Jesus warned the disciples. He said, many will come. They will say, I am He. And they will lead many astray. We find that in all three of the of Mark and Matthew and Luke. I'll just give you the one reference, Mark 13, 6. And so this was something that we, we need to know. It's repeated. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You need to be aware of these things. Be willing to count the cost. 1 John 2.18 says, 
Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, whatever that means, so now many Antichrists have come. And now what is an Antichrist? What does it mean that they have come? Antichrist simply means against Christ or in the place of Christ. So when someone takes their place and says, I am Christ or I represent Christ, but they deny who he is, and you read 1 John 2 and 4, then they are not of God. And they're not to be regarded as they're opposed to God, whether they claim to oppose him or not. And so in the text of Daniel 7, we see this little horn. I don't know if it's a type of the Antichrist or talking about the Antichrist, but it's um, it applies to a lot of what we see today, where we see pompous words being spoken against the Most High, blasphemy, proud words against God. We see persecution of the saints of the Most High. And we see um, a rebellion against God. This uh, intending to change the times and seasons is confusing to me. I don't think that there's theories, but I'm not sure what it means. However, God alone changes the times and seasons. Daniel 2.21 tells us that he is the one who changes them. And so, to take the place where we think that we can do that is, is rebellion against God. And I believe that there are people that try to take the place of God and uh, create these rules or whatever it is, um, that don't belong in the gospel. And this opposition is nothing new. But remember, we know the triumph of God's reign. We know the divine court will judge, the kingdoms of men will be destroyed, and that the kingdom belongs to the saints of the Most High God. In Christ we have victory. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says that thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't want to be naive to the reality of evil. The world is a world of wickedness and suffering. You may be experiencing fear or loneliness in this time of isolation. There's there's a lack of work for people, family members that are at risk, and all of these things, it's hard to see. Um, you know, it, it it's tough, isn't it? I found it hard to see God working. Harder for me to see the fruit that I long to see, but if we look beyond the veil of heaven, we can see in spite of the terrible reality of evil, God still reigns. And so, you know what? The Bible speaks of how we already reign with Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. But such is the opposition to his reign that a lot of times his splendor and ours may be hidden.
The people of God uh, seem to be wearing out, but the little horn does not reign. Jesus Christ is Lord. And my prayer is that we could see the reality of evil, the troubles in this world with new eyes, because God still reigns.